You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lisa Snare. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, folks. Thanks for being here. Today, we're talking about sales and marketing working together. Everybody talks about how critical it is for sales and marketing to work together. But let's face it, a lot of organizations don't do it very well. And today, we're going to explore a little bit as to why. And to help us out with this subject, we have Chris Smith and Matt Richards, the CRO and CMO of Aqua Security. And they will be sharing their thoughts on making sales and marketing work together in a fast-paced, fast-growing company. Chris, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, before we jump into the topic of the day, there's one question we like to do to get us all started. It provides a little value from our audience, helps people to understand you a little bit better. So here we go, and I'll start with Matt. Hey, what's one thing that you are passionate about that those who only know you through business might be surprised to know about you? Yeah, I think uh, for me, I'm a tinkerer, something most folks will look at my background. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. So I, I like to build stuff. I like to fix things. Um, so there's projects all around the house, but I mostly love to be on the water. So during COVID, um, you know, I found a boat in need of some love and I restored a boat from scratch. It had a new mast formulated and actually installed that, uh, repaired the sails, restored the woodwork, just had a, had a grand all time mixing my tinkering with my need to be on the water. And to me, I, I think that's something that, uh, you know, finding that place where you're at peace that combines those things you love in the world and put them all in one place. Um, if I'm not at work, I'm going to be on the water and uh, sailing in that boat that we restored during COVID. It was great. Awesome, Matt. You never cease to amaze me. Mr. Chris Smith, how about something amazing about you or something you're passionate about? So let me just respond to Matt. So Matt, some people got COVID dogs. You got a COVID boat. Nice. I like it. Uh, okay. So a lot of people know about me. They know, they know about my uh, interest in boxing and uh, the participation there. And they also know kind of the, my routines in the morning, which I won't get into now. But those are people in business. So this is somebody that is in business that wouldn't know something about me. It's something I don't talk about a lot. So this is what it is. When I was young and even through college, my dream was to write movie scores. And I played piano my whole life and I composed music, which is interesting because I actually don't read music, but I don't need to. It slows me down. I can hear just about anything, uh, save some of the, uh, some of the more intricate uh, songs and play it right back to you. So in college, I opened for George Winston and I started gigging immediately after college. And, uh, but then I was seduced by a mentor in the software industry that uh, drove a really nice car up to the place where I was also a valet and, uh, the rest is history. And so here I am, man, I think we might have to pull this question. I feel like such an underachiever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's I'm, amazing. Amazing. Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. It's to amaze me, Chris. Um, and I'll tell you one thing. Um, I was listening to George Winston in college. So little did I know you were opening for him if I'd known that. Oh, well, fantastic. Fascinating stuff. So, I mean, to switch gears a little bit here, um, we hear a lot uh, about security companies these days. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Aqua Security. 
what you both do there, how you arrived at this exciting, fast-paced organization, and uh, exactly how you're different from all those other security companies we might hear about. Cool. So, uh, so what, what, what I do, I'm the CRO, so Chief Revenue Officer. So, you know, pretty much uh, the go-to-market is of uh, keen interest to me. And when there's a lot of revenue, everyone likes the way I part my hair. My jokes are funny, and I'm happy. And the converse is true if uh, we don't have a lot of revenue. So that's a little bit of what I do. Why did I choose this company? Um, so I, I uh, believe in a Remore style company selection. And what I mean by that is if you look at Remore fish, they live off of big, big fish. So let's take a whale as an example. A whale is moving through the ocean and there will be a bunch of fish that live off this whole ecosystem of a whale. So I look at companies in a Remore style, meaning I, what is a big movement in the market where a lot of ships are going to rise in that rising tide? And I'll encapsulate it with this. There are 100,000 software startup scale-ups. There are 1,000 of them that are unicorns, if you can believe that. And of those 1,000 that are unicorns, there are 52. A recent article came out, VentureBeat, that didn't matter. And of those, they said there are 10 to watch. And of those 10, there's us and five people that we compete with. So uh, for me, it's about show me big movement, show me something that hasn't yet been solved with this big movement. The big movement is the digital transformation, which is a $7 trillion transformation happening. And what we do is bring security to that. So that's a little bit of the way I look at uh, how I'm going to choose what company I hang my hat. <laughs> that's not a bad way to do it. <laughs> Did you want to add something to that, Matt? <laughs> well, I think on the, on the marketing side, um, I think about positioning the company, right, so that the products uh, position the company value uh, and and uh, the need, so that the products essentially sell themselves. Um, that doesn't mean they do, but that's that's my goal in life. And uh, so everything we do is to try to drive exactly that. And um, not so unlike Chris, uh, when I started looking for my next thing, my last thing was taking a company public. It was great fun. I decided I want to go do that again. Commercializing tech is something I love. Uh, so I went looking for cutting edge technology in a massively high growth space with a team that I thought got it and was working well together. And it was time to do the scale up. Technology had been proven, but we needed to scale. And so I came in here to do that. Uh, fortunately, I started a month before Chris. So uh, it took a real leap of faith that Chris would actually be here uh, and, and started. And uh, I've not been disappointed since. So it's been an ex excellent journey and we're just getting started. Yeah, that seems like a, a really exciting future for everyone. Um, and when, so when we talk about marketing and sales working together, that's our topic for today. What does that mean for both of you? Since you uh, rightfully established yourself as the first of these two employees at Office Two, huh? <laughs> well, that'll that'll teach me. Um, uh, to me, when I think about the two working together, I, I tend to look at it. It's just easy in, in threes. Um, uh, the first shared goals, and that sounds obvious. Well, we're all trying their own revenue, but it's not actually often the case. Uh, and I'll just tell a quick story. Chris and I, when we started in the fall, you know, we built this, uh, we built these shared goals and we actually metriced and agreed along with our compatriot on the uh, chief customer officer side. We all shared exactly the same goals. And it wasn't like Matt will hit his goal and Chris will miss his and we'll be good. It's if Chris doesn't his, his goal, Matt doesn't hit his goal and therefore we're doomed. And it's, and it's, uh, it's that shared goals, I think, and setting that at the high level in the organization and being a little bit vocal about it to the team that said, we are sharing goals. We are aligned. We will do this together. 
that was, I think, an important part of, um, of sales and marketing working together. The second part is trust. I want Chris in my backyard, to be honest, and, and I'm in Chris's backyard also. We see different things. We, we optimize on different, different elements of the go to market strategy and execution. And so we need to trust that we're in there driving that same shared set of goals. And then the last thing for me was, um, I like to think of it as Tetris in execution. In each other's backyards, not at the same time in the same places, all trying to drive the same goal. And it's a little bit like Tetris fitting together just so to clear the level. Yeah, I, I would riff off of that a little bit, Matt. I mean, the alignment of goals is, is huge. So what's the knock? Why would you even take this, this as a topic of discussion? Because we've all heard the leads are weak, know your team is weak, the leads you're giving me, nobody really, you know, wants to buy what we have. No, your, your guys aren't following up with uh, those folks within the right time frame. Oh, yes, they are. Okay. No, they, like, like this is, this is super low frequency type of dialogue that shouldn't happen between marketing and sales. It does. There's a lot of reasons for it. It could be that the, the, the leadership doesn't understand the importance. It could be ego. Ego is a damnable thing for, for all people. But, but really, the alignment goals is the biggest piece. So Matt and I actually spent a lot of time before I even joined, uh, and that was one of the reasons I did join the company. And what I was looking for from Matt was, hey, walk me through philosophically how you view sales. And, you know, he was like, well, sales is my customer. And it's not that uh, sales has to be happy. It's just that those are the people that I am the, the script writer for. And then they're the people on stage that are going to deliver. Okay, got that. Cool. Um, another thing that he said that I've said many times is air warfare and ground warfare. And he said, look, I look at marketing as it's air warfare if you're going to win a war, and I'm command and control for that. And then your team is the ground warfare. And they play different roles. And the air warfare wants to drop uh, packages that say it's futile for you to fight the folks on the ground. And the ground wants to, you know, do a really good job aligning the troops and, and the battalions in a certain way where they're going to uh, demoralize their enemy. Um, that sounds a little bit vicious. Maybe, maybe we're not quite demoralizing the enemy because it's just competition. The point is, those two things have to work in concert with each other. Back to Matt's Tetris piece. And, and the last thing I'm going to riff again off of it is swim lanes. So a lot of times in these organizations, Sales will say, well, look, I'm not here to help the pitch. You do that in your marketing. I'm not here, even if it's investor debt, but you do that in your marketing. I'm not here to talk about brand. You do that in your marketing. And that's, that's something that's significantly missed. And why is that significantly missed? It's missed because who is the greatest connective tissue to the market vis-a-vis customers? It should be the salespeople talking to them on a regular basis. So now, if they stay in the swim lane and they're not this interwoven conduit to, to marketing because they have trust, so I say get rid of the swim lanes based on the trust between two competent people running both of those organizations, and then you've got a really cogent working organization between them. I love that. As uh, as someone who ran SDR, was an SDR, then ran SDR teams for a lot of my career, 
I always felt like I was being pulled in both directions. And you'd have your, your SDR team who's out there trying to drum up cold outbound leads, but also needing to make sure that those marketing leads were converting at a rate that made sense. And, and it was just like this tug of war. So I love hearing that you've made it this symbiotic relationship and, and a shared goal that everybody shares a piece of in moving the, the company forward towards the success that it needs to see. So definitely been caught in the middle of that before. So when you're thinking about how to measure all of this, like what are some of the things that other organizations like yours should be measuring, should be tracking, and what kinds of outcomes should they be expecting based on a, a symbiotic relationship with shared goals the way that you're seeing? Sure. So let's get the easy stuff that everyone knows off the table. Conversion rates need to be better. We need more pipelines. We need more MQLs. No, no, I really don't care about that. I care about the SQLs. Like, yes, through all that, of course, table stage. But I think ABX is something that most companies are moving to or have moved to. And so first you really, and again, this, this does get back to the alignment between marketing and sales. Who is your buyer? Who is your user? What are the buying verticals today? What are the ones that you think will be there in the next two years? So you take a look at that, draw a circle around that. You say, okay, that's our target market, buyer and user. Cool. Well, like how many customers do we have in each of those verticals? And then looking at a heat map across the globe and say, okay, we know what those are. Who do we go after? And then they're very different messages for the buyer and the user. Buyer would be power, somebody who has power. And then, of course, the user is not necessarily somebody who has power, but they have influence. And this ties directly into customer success, too, by the way, because the user may be happy, but if the buyer, the power, isn't happy, you might not get your renewal. So well, what's the point? How do you measure that? Well, it, it's actually a pretty difficult thing to do. It's not difficult to say, these are the accounts you're going after. But now you have to have a close alignment between sales and marketing again to say, okay, what is the impact in this vertical? Because actually, and Matt probably will talk about this, um, but we get very different conversions in very different industries. And it depends on where they are at in the maturity curve. And by the way, the messaging can't be the same. You know, it's better to go to less people with more impactful messaging, one of the reasons why Carlos and I have been working together so closely, than it is to spray and pray with a message that you, you think, you know, one size fits all, of course it doesn't. So I would say the easy answer is to measure the impact of your ABX go to market. It is also the hardest thing to measure, but it's the most important. Matt? <laughs> There's a couple pieces in here that I, I would build on. I think at the top of the funnel, before getting into ABX specifically, uh, if you know your personas, you know your positioning, and we do spend you know, a lot of time getting that right. It is the health of the market. I like to keep an eye on, is the market for what we do healthy? It's not something you often hear folks talk about. One way to measure that is intent. Are we seeing buyer intent in our space? Is it healthy? One. Then, you know, riffing on that, is the market growing? Are we growing faster than the market is growing? Like those to me are really critical health elements across all of go-to-market. Then I come down a level, and of course, yes, it's about uh, awareness and uh, impact of the brand and flow of the funnel. And I think about product marketing and conversion rates, right? Do we have the right content for the right personas? Converge, uh, uh, are they converting appropriately at the right percentage? And 
positioning, messaging all the way through and all that wrapped up in this, this bundle called brand, right? Brand is what people say when you're not in the room. Okay. So what's our brand? And I think that's a, that's a huge conversation. That's very hard to measure, but why do we exist? Super critical question. Every company, and, and of course, I'm going to riff a little on the Simon Sinek, uh, why, what, how conversation, but I believe so strongly in, in, a, in an understanding of our mission and why we exist. And if we can't articulate why we exist, that's really the backbone of everything we do. It's, how, it's the backbone of our brand. And so for me, building on that backbone of our brand of why we exist, that was, that was really that background first nine months, like cataloging, capturing and articulating why we exist. It's hard to measure. You either have it or you don't. But see, if you can capture the spirit of why we exist, then we can do some pretty awesome marketing around that when we start to understand why, what's our mission. And then we start running campaigns, start identifying taglines and go from there. So there's kind of this, yes, you got to get the ground warfare and the air cover in place while you're working on the strategic defense shield, <laughs> if you will, of brand and, uh, and carrying that through. So it's, it's almost a yes or no. You have it or you don't and a clear understanding of why we exist. Buyer persona, we talk about scoring, pipelines, technology stack. Is it functional? There's all sorts of, we can go into, into the weeds here, but those are the big ones to understand the state of the company and whether or not you're seeing the revenue growth associated with who you are and the state of the market and, and what part of that you're able to take. Probably not what you expected from a marketer. Huh? So just to add, and I usually don't do this, but since I worked with both of you, so for our audience, you know, we rolled out this value selling program at Aqua. That's not what we're here about, but I'm bringing it up because of this. When we roll out programs like this and part of the organization goes, yeah, yeah, that's how we go to market for sales and do not get involved. It's a huge big red light for me. And in your organization, Matt, I want to give you kudos. Not only were you involved in preparing in our customization going into the program, you also sat in the program. You sat in with a coaching class. I mean, you were involved every step along with the way. And you can go, hey, I'm a CMO. I'm busy. The reality is you saw the program as being part of the way that you were going to help drive some of your own messaging and connect your team to it. And I just want to give both of you guys kudos for it because you guys are in lockstep throughout that whole process. And I think that was a great to do behind it. Chris. Yeah, Carlos, I want to add something to that because uh, you talked about measurement and I, I, my mind didn't uh, just immediately go here, but it's a big piece. Gong. Gong.io, so you can actually get a mirror on how your messaging is leasing. You certainly would be familiar with it. I've seen where sales folks bring in Gong, and only sales can listen to it. Where now we're missing a huge amount of data point. No, why would you do that? Because you probably know that objects in mirror are larger than they actually are. So you don't want anyone else to know what you already know. We haven't done that here. So in case in point, you know, I've got our founders listening to it. You know, folks in development listening to it, DS listening to it, Matt listening to it. Now I get a lot of positive feedback from Matt to the extent where he's like, hey, man, I want to write some things differently for, you know, the business development side of things. I think that, you know, we're doing some good things, but I think we can be better. And again, like ripping out the swimways, but last thing I'll, last thing I'll beat on this for us is it does come down to trust. There has to be a mutual healthy respect and trust between the two leaders of the organization. That can be brokered by uh, the CEO, but you know, often it isn't. It happens to be here, but we're fortunate. It often isn't. It's really got to come from the leadership, though, from both organizations. 
Great point. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah, just just layering on top of what Chris was saying. And trust absolutely no egos. And you can have an ego. We all have egos. But you need to leave it at the door. Because if you're going to trust me in, in your backyard, Chris, with SDRs or vice versa, with conversion rates as it comes to um, as it comes to some of our conversion in the pipe, like you got to you've got to trust. Check the ego at the door. And last, but uh, it's not obvious, is uh, have a sense of humor. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier to manage this uh, and to actually work together if you have a sense of humor and <laughs> got some um, definitely have senses of humor going here, although not obvious in this particular conversation. <laughs> well, hey, so since we're all just trying to learn, any tips on what not to do? Like, uh, you know, things that you've seen in the past that really don't allow sales and marketing to align and work better together, especially in a SaaS model. Yeah, uh, for me, number one, you need to have a sense of empathy regardless of where you are in the go-to-market cycle. And, and by that, I mean truly understanding the personas, truly understanding the customer, what the customer is going through, the prospect, what the prospect is going through. So the opposite of that is what not to do, number one. Number two, um, so in the sales cycle, empathy to finish that thought, right? Being able to connect with, empathize with, seek to learn and understand in the marketing all the way through the SDRs, Lisa, to your history, right? It's that, that conversation to carry that through to the sales and then even beyond into success. So that empathy, I think, is super critical. I think the other thing is, as Chris has said, um, and we just said a moment ago, right? Don't bring your ego along with you. It's not about whether you win. It's about whether or not the customer wins and whether or not, as a result, the company can win. It's that combination that's, that's, uh, that's unique. And I think the value that you can then articulate and capture is extremely important if you're not bringing your ego, right? You can actually look rationally and logically at the, at, uh, at what it is you're, you're bringing to the organization. Like what's in Chris's role and my role, what is it we're bringing that actually makes our teams more than the sum of the parts. And there's, there's, um, there's your special sauce and value that can't be your ego. That's not it. So what do you bring? Creativity, energy, my partner in crime here, Chris, creativity, energy, Enthusiasm on so many elements, knowledge, constantly pushing the envelope. These are great characteristics of a partner to work with uh, and something that I highly value and look for uh, in the other side of the on the sales and marketing aisle. Yeah, I, I, what, the thing that I would say, I know that I'm, I'm going back to the swim line thing, but it, it's a really big deal. If you look at what comes from the field, so picture the days where we're physically in front of eight accounts a day, right? You would very quickly be able to see when people were leaning forward, when their eyes were getting bright, when their arms were crossing, conversely. And you can start to see what worked. What things did you say that elicited a positive response? What things did you say? And then what things were the competition saying that were working or not? Marketing, they're not, they weren't back in that day, and hopefully again, they weren't in all of those meetings. The great leaders in marketing got out with sales a lot. Well, why did they do that? Because you can't read enough books in marketing to see what is going to work in that particular company at that particular time to win that particular vertical, to put landmines down for the competition, to know exactly what problem you're solving, why, what's the deep understanding of that. So what's the point? The point is, who should understand that and always doesn't talk sales? The problem with sales is that there are all these great pieces of information. The sales leadership's not great. 
or they are great, but they're not digging ditches, meaning they're not involved in the day-to-day. They're not able to sow up all those different seeds, institutionalize it, and feed it back to market. So what? Why do we care about that? Why do we care about that? We care about that because that becomes your website. That becomes what you say. That becomes your tagline. Now you say, no, that's marketing's job. And that right there is the problem. Whose job is it? Yes, marketing. Yes, sales. But it's the connective tissue of the two and allowing those two organizations to ebb and flow into each other's backyard, eliminating the swim, the plastic swim lane that we've all seen in schools. But again, you know, last time I'll say it, don't get back to the trust. No trust, everyone puts up swim lane. Agreed. In fact, it's um, sometimes you, you you work with clients and they'll go, yeah, yeah, but marketing has to do this or marketing needs to do that or sales is marketing's going, yeah, yeah, but sales has got that information. And the reality is, if you think of it as a flywheel, they both got to be working. Marketing might set that original messaging, but they need feedback. And there's 10x more people usually in sales than there are in marketing. So, hey, where's the feedback? And are you willing to share it? Not because it was bad or good. This is just the result. This is what happened. This is what I'm hearing more of. Hey, our competition's pivoted. And they're doing more of this these days. You you know, you got to have everyone kind of pulling in the same direction. Now, I know this conversation is about sales and marketing. But there's a third leg of the stool that is critical where you know you call it services customer success i believe and i could be wrong so i want you guys to correct me in a successful SaaS model we need customer success to be part of this conversation and also be aligned to deliver on that original promise so that we can get a happy customer that's willing to renew willing to expand and willing to go next level i love your thoughts who wants to go first I'll jump that one because it is uh, it is near and dear to my heart. So I've, I've run it before, so I, I have uh, a deep understanding. Um, as my mother would say, you uh, you have head knowledge if you read a book, you have heart knowledge if you if you wrote it or if you ran the part of the organization in this case. So I have heart knowledge when it comes to customer success. Here's the deal: a lot of the people that are running customer success came up in a break fix model, a perpetual license model. Why does that matter? It matters because you would do your 100K deal, you'd get tack on that 20% or whatever it was within the company, and you get that 20K extra. So what? Well, every company amortized over a three- or a five-year period. You have to really do some egregious stuff to not get that renewal. So what? So you didn't really have to be connected to the value you were delivering on an annual basis to the customer. Yeah, why are we talking about that? It's not the way it is today. Because a lot of the people that run customer success came up in that model, still think in that model. They think in the break, break, fix model. They think in the, hey, let's go back to try to get that renewal 90 days before. And a company that is smart recognizes, in fact, that customer success is often more important than sales. What? Well, first, they are in sales, so you almost don't even want to divide. But first, let's look at most companies that are ARR models, subscription models. Look at the book of business that's new and upsell, and look at the book of business that's renewal. It's bigger, the renewal book of business. So just by nature of the follow the money, it's a bigger deal. But that's not why I say it. I say it for one reason. They are the closest to the sum. It's not just a conversation about trying to get your product in, your solution. It's a, 
Okay, so are we delivering? Did we give value to you in the first 90 days? And a lot of these contracts use subscription model. It's a year. So you got 90 days to establish value, business and technical value. Who does that? Sales? Well, they're kind of involved, but they're a supporting actor. They're not the lead actor. The lead actor is customer success. So what? So if a company is really smart, like what, what Matt did, is he put together a program where we went back to our existing customers to say, this is who we think we are. This is why we think you bought. What do you think? This is where we think the market's going. What, why? The goal are the customers. That's the sum. And, and, you know, we have almost 500 customers now. So is it more important to go out and do some marketing research that we pay $180,000 to that goes to, like, maybe they're going to buy customers? Or is it better to go to 500 customers that are already using our technology and say, hey, what do you think? I'll pile on just quickly. Um, the feedback loop there is critical to it. It's not just about success and re-earning, right? In the SaaS model, you're earning it every year. Yes, absolutely. The reality, the value that they achieve, the expectations that were met or not met as a result of this process has to feed back into marketing at the front end. And there's another piece of this too, which we haven't really talked about, which is uh, the customer marketing element, which is, okay, what are you doing to tell your customers that you have new products, new features that that your capabilities have expanded over time as well. And it's another element where being aligned with success is exactly that's a channel and we're a channel and we're both touching the customer after the sale. That's uh, we have to be aligned and we have to have the same message and be reinforcing the value. You know, value selling only works when you can reinforce and prove that you delivered that value, which incidentally is also the best way to capture the new customers to have them talk to existing customers who have already achieved that value. It's hard to, it's hard to not believe somebody who's in your industry is like you facing the same problems you are and has solved that issue. That's what I do as a CMO. I look for those answers and that's what uh, uh, the smarter, wiser customers will go want. So the prospects will want that from existing customers. And so that's what we can help on the, on the, uh, on the marketing side. So it's all one continuous cycle here. Sounds like you guys got the beginnings of an amazing flywheel. All right. I got one more question back to sales and marketing and just organizational wise. Hey folks, I, I, I gotten, uh, I got the privilege to work with you guys and I've seen you, you know, face to face, you know, live what you actually say, but here's my question. How are you able to take that alignment that you both share at your level down to the next layer and the next layer behind there? Any advice there? Yeah, I, I could take a first stab for me. It comes to shared goals and being vocal about it, right? It's, it's not that's a marketing, you know, we want to deliver this many MQLs and then we're successful. Like an MQL that never makes it past the MQL stage is not an MQL. I'm sorry. <laughs> so shared goals through the entire process, visible at the executive level, trickle down. Right? I mean, that's, that sounds dumb. It sounds so obvious. Of course we're doing that. Revenue marketing, right? Practicing the marketing succeeds when sales succeeds. Like I might have delivered plenty of MQLs by my model. Who cares what the model said, right? If that's not actually converting into reality, the model's a great way to get budget set at the beginning of the year, but it's not reality. Chris's team is reality. They're on the ground. They're in the field. Like, right? We're the air cover for what they're trying to achieve. So to me, I'll just um, stick with the shared goals, trickle down, measure, and trust the numbers, right? Trust the numbers. I've worked with a lot of sales folks over the years. The last few calls are often what you hear about. And then you start tilting in that direction and it turns out, oh, and, and then you like, you know, the leaning tower of pizza and um, on a turntable, right? It's constantly shifting its direction. And we got to trust the numbers 
Because my job, of course, is at scale, right? One to many. I've got to trust the numbers and trust the metrics because I need to think about the one to many. The cool thing about sales in our model is there's actually a fair amount of one to one when we close. So you can, you can tailor and customize, right? So measure, show alignment, trickle it down, trust the numbers. And then one quick thing to that, uh, which is why people that understand the why behind the metrics buy into it, we get much better data. They're willing to participate. They know why they're doing what they're doing. I think a lot of organizations are like, it's you know, part of your base salary to fill out Salesforce. But they don't tell them why. Then let me tell you, do you like your stock? Do you like the valuation? Because sometimes what we're able to show people in Salesforce is the thing that gives the valuation to the company, like one of the biggest actors. Hey, by the way, the less you fill out, stop complaining about the fact that you need more leads and you don't care about MQLs and you care about SQLs. Stop complaining about the sales cycle because you're not giving us any of the feedback. The better the feedback you give us, the better we can find in the engine. And you just start to bring them into those conversations. And I think it's, a, it's key to bring people into the why they're doing what they're doing for them to more and I'd, I'd layer in one last piece, which is always leave room for creativity. That's the one thing I've, I've just, and, and I, we haven't really had a chance to talk to. We've talked about numbers and market size and growth and absolutely true. Always leave room for creativity. Some of the best, most effective campaigns were highly creative out of the box, leveraging assets people had in their hand. So I challenge everybody here from the marketing and sales perspective working together is what assets are unique to you? that you can together leverage and create a special sauce there to drive that demand, drive that awareness, and, and ultimately drive your pipeline and, and, and your deals. Uh, perfect example, the NASDAQ does a great series of campaigns. I don't know if you've seen them, right? They take a picture of their Times Square billboard. Congratulate blank on blank. Fantastic use of assets. When that showed up in my inbox, congratulate Matt, CMO Aqua. Like, I'll remember that for ages. But that is an asset that they have that took them a few minutes, they had to find me, figure out my name, pay attention to the market, understand where we are as a company, and share that with me. Now, I won't talk to them again for another year and a half, but or two or three. Please don't read anything into that. Um, but, you know, I, I will remember that. And that's creativity, leveraging the assets you have at hand that are unique and different to you. That uh, dovetails really nicely into one of our last questions, actually, Matt. So I'll challenge you to think of something other than that. But we ask all of our guests a uh, couple standard questions towards the end of every interview. And the first is that you are both revenue executives. So you often get prospected to from other sales professionals. So the audience would really like to understand that when they do not have a warm introduction or a referral into you, what can they do that actually grabs your attention, builds a little credibility, and uh, and might have you even considering responding and not within a year and a half? <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting one. I, I find this one frustrating and interesting and also uh, nauseating at times. The first thing I would say is Mark Twain had a great quote. I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I'm going to write you a long one. Like, really? Are you going to seriously give an executive an intro email that is five paragraphs? Never will that work. Like, I don't say never, because that's, you know, like, that's an absolute. So, of course, somebody got lucky. Like, that's not going to work with me. And, and, and by the way, how do I know that there isn't a lot of substance in that? Because 
it takes a long time to say something you're not sure about. Or it takes a long time to say something you don't emphatically know. And what does it tell me? They, they don't know me. They don't really know why. I mean, there are three fundamental things you need to answer. Why your company? Why now? Why whatever I'm doing or whatever path I could pursue is not as good as whatever it is you're offering. And I would encourage people in the header to just say, this is what I did. I save, I add, I do this. Like, just net it out. All the cute personal stuff, like, no, it, it's not going to work. I will say something else. Evoking negative emotion isn't always bad. What do I mean? I often get the, we've spoken with your competitors, and they're using, guess what? They get my attention. Now, they lose my attention when they list my competitors, and not one of them happens to be any of my competitors. or <laughs> happens. But they get my attention. So evoke emotion, but definitely neck it out. And don't worry about all the fluffy, I'm sorry, you know, I really would like, like, just, just, just no, just don't. Just get right to it. That, but that's, that's stylistically how I would like to receive it. So, Matt, what about you? Yeah, I think you started touching on this at the very end there, the emotional. Like, buying is an emotional decision that you then justify with facts. Right. That's why brands to me is so important uh, as to the why. So let's combine the Olympic part of your brain, right? The emotional decision-making part of your brain, not the neocortex that's going to actually rationalize it after the fact. Yes. Uh, you know, honey, I'm sorry. I came home with that radio air, radio controlled airplane. Um, but it made a lot of sense at the time. And here's why, because I really wanted it. Um, be like you, you make an emotional decision and then you try to justify it. But I'll also go back to the empathy. If you do your homework, and you understand the market, and you understand your persona, you know their mindset. Uh, I'll tell a different story. NASDAQ did a great job, by the way. So yes, please always, and you'll see it all over, like other people's all over Facebook. They use it all the time. It's an asset they have that's unique. Okay, that's behind us. I remember writing and working with a customer once to close a deal. Uh, and I actually, I just went to their website. And I wrote, yes, I'm an engineer, but I also am a liberal arts engineer. So I wrote a story. Hey, look, it's all about trust. You know that that's why you have, and I just listed out the things on their website that they've clearly articulated are important to them. You know, when we won the deal, we displaced IBM, the incumbents, like tiny little consulting company, blew, like displaced the competitor. Why? Because we connected emotionally with their state of mind. If you're going to get through to me, you need to do your homework to figure out what my state of mind is. I'm a scale up, right? We have aggressive revenue goals, amazing technology. And we are trying to scale up our teams, our organizations, and do to make the most of what we have. Okay, so think about that. Then try to connect with me with a message that makes sense there. Emotional connection with where I am, with what I need. Then rationalize it later. You don't need to rationalize it in the email. In fact, it's not going to work. I'm an engineer. I like numbers. But it's not going to be how you sell to me. I may, we, we all make emotional decisions. We're human. That's what selling and buying is all about. I want to feel good. So that's what I say. Uh, empathy and remember the limbic part of the brain. I like it. All right. I think we say one last question too many times, but this is one of the questions that we ask also at the end of our podcast. And we call it Acceleration Insights. Here's what it is basically. Hey, for our listeners, could you share one key takeaway, one key piece of advice that you feel, hey, will help our audience 
hit their targets better and maybe a little bit why. So you can explain it a little better. And Matt, how about I start with you? So what's your one acceleration insight for our audience, their, their key takeaway? Yeah, this is about sales and marketing alignment. So I'm going to go there, right? The most important thing is to trust your sales counterpart if you're a CMO or your CMO if you're a CRO. You have to share see eye to eye. Share goals is nice, but if you can't see eye to eye, it's not going to work. You have to trust each other, see eye to eye, then share your goals. And you know, one of my rules of thumb, which is why Chris and I get along so well, right? No surprises. Like if you know about something, it's not to save for the QBR as to why you didn't hit your number. Let's fix it now so we hit our number at the QB. Like none of this hiding. You know, put your cards on the table and we can win together. That's that's the trust. That's to me is super critical if you're building a relationship with your CRO. Go have a drink and start that relationship, please. Because that will help you more than a lot of uh, a lot of the specific tactical advice I could give you on how to be uh, better at managing your pipeline. Awesome, Chris. What's your big takeaway? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bifurcate into two things. First, I would I would say is the um, the measurements a really big deal. It can't be so. So marketing typically does a really good job of measuring, and sales thinks they do. What do I mean by that? Well, marketing is a tough, tough roles, you know, the tough role because there is a spend, it's not inconsequential, and it is tough to show how you built brand. It is tough to show how you elevated company. Now, there are all ways to do that, but then they kind of feel superfluous or squishy to a lot of, especially entrepreneurial, first-time, non-business, technical executives. So why does marketing do such a good job in measurement? Because they need to prove that they're bringing value to the organization. And that's measurement, right? So they, they have really good ways to measure, right? Sales is like, well, it's binary. You're either hitting your number or you're not. Well, sure, but not true also. You are either hitting your number and, and that piece is clearly binary. But there's a, there's a what's behind that. And what I would uh, think, and I'm surprised I don't see more companies doing a good job of bringing this together, meaningfully doing it, but the controls that marketing has, sales should understand all of the different dashboards that marketing has and vice versa, because those two things need to be interoperable. They need to work together. So for instance, that happens to be a pilot. I happen to be a great passenger, but let's just say that I was also a pilot. And Matt and I are flying and he passes out. I should be as familiar with the instrument panel as Matt is, such that I can take over and land us free and clear of any injury or insult to the aircraft. That is not usual. I'd say that's a really big thing. So I said I'd bifurcate. That's one. Second piece I would say, and I say this to everybody, this applies to anybody in any particular job. People say the craziest things uh, trying to prove worth. I give 110%. That is absolutely ridiculous. There is no such thing as 110%. And if people are truthfully be honest, and that's uh, said twice there, they're probably, if they're good, putting out like 70 to 80%. Don't forget, we breathe, we sleep, we eat, we have lives. I mean, come on, 110% is silly. What's my point? It is better to consistently put out 70% every day than it is to work really hard, spike, and put out 80%, get burnt out, and then, then like work a four-hour day. And then really hard, it's like show up, put out every single day, 
And, and you're going to find that over time, you're going to improve. This is the constant never-ending improvement that you build off of when you start that process. And then you end up really outperforming most people. If you really think about it, just think about it, doing 70% every day for a year, what would that really do? That would change a lot of people's lives. So I said I'd buy for cake because one was a little squishy, but super meaningful, and one was tactical. There you go. Awesome. Uh, I actually do have access to a many, most of the dashboards on Chris's team and vice versa. And we, uh, we, we take a look at them. So it's not just what he says. It's actually how we operate, which is part of why we're aligned. Right? And we know what's going on in each other's yards. Perfect. Chris, Matt, thank you so much. I think you guys are doing something special at Aqua Securities. I think you're on to something. In fact, for our listeners, if they want to learn more about Aqua Securities or find a better way to get in contact with you, what do you recommend? I'd recommend my email. It's, uh, it's the safest way. You know, cell phones, you guys, I don't know what kind of listeners you have, probably. So uh, <laughs> my, uh, my email is chris.smith at aquasec.com. SEC.com. And I'm super simple. It's uh, 555 film. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's Matt uh, Richards at aquasec.com. Super easy to find. Awesome. And I recommend folks check out the website. I, again, uh, I might be biased. But I think you guys are on to something special. Uh, I loved your CEO. He's another example of someone that showed up for our coaching session and stayed the entire time beginning to end and that's uh, not easy to see out there in companies today so i think you guys are on to something special can't thank you enough for you guys being here today it's been an awesome show it's been awesome having you here well carlos and lisa thank you uh, for inviting us thanks for having us uh, you're both uh, you're both great hosts lisa carlos thank you been a fun a fun podcast we agree. All right, everyone. That does it for this episode. I'm Lisa Schneer with my co-host, Carlos Noche. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with friends, family, coworkers, your dog, your kids. And if you like what you hear, do us a favor and drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next time, Carlos and I thank you again for making us a part of your day. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.